Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Wednesday, July 8, 2020, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Civil rights leaders walk away from a meeting with Facebook with nothing. They say Facebook still doesn't get it. Color change president Rashad Robinson will give us the details. Remember the armed black man who marched to the birthplace of the KKK on the 4th of July? The leader of the group 
the Not Fucking Around Coalition will join us. The United States now has more than 3 million cases of coronavirus effect as loss of the Trump administration as they push for mandatory opening of schools. The Movement for Black Lives unveiled their proposal for police reform yesterday. We will talk with the co-founder, Patrice Cullors, about that. Remember the white couple seen vandalizing a Black Lives Matter mural? Guess what? They've been charged with a hate crime. And a San Francisco lawmaker wants to make race-based 911 calls a crime. It's called the Karen Act. In Oregon, a white politician admits that he sent a publicized racist letter to himself. And of course, we have today's edition of Crazy Ass White People. The white guy acted a fool in uh, Costco in Florida. He ain't got a job today. And I'll talk with Dr. Howard Fuller, of course, school choice advocate, also Pan-Africanist. We could talk about the school issue, opening up those schools, and also what he wants Joe Biden to know and do when it comes to parental choice in education. It's time to bring the funk. Roll the mark on the filter. Let's go. folks, Facebook had their meeting yesterday with civil rights leaders. Today, the results of the civil rights audit came out. Mm, not good at all. One of the folks who was there, who's been pushing Facebook for several years, is Rashad Robinson. He, of course, leads Color of Change. He joins us right now. First off, Rashad, uh, the civil rights audit that came out today, what did it reveal? Well, it revealed a long list of recommendations, many of which have been recommendations for years that Facebook has refused um, or has been unable to implement. Um, it illustrated some things that Facebook has worked on that have been part of the work that Color of Change, uh, NAACP, the NAACP LDF, the Leadership Conference, many other organizations um, have been pushing on things like um, really sort of dealing with some of the white nationalist content on the platform in terms of the closed groups. Even if they haven't got all of it, they at least put some policies in place. And now we need them to fully enforce those policies. Um, we've done some things over the years, like um, dealing with some of the ways in which um, you could go in and uh, only market jobs to white people or to men or only market housing to white people. And, you know, they had some lawsuits from the ACLU and others that we pushed them to settle and they settled those lawsuits. Um, but a couple of things that we really continue to push them on is dealing with the political exemptions that have allowed Donald Trump to lie on the platform, um, dealing with long-term civil rights infrastructure. We had sort of a, a minor concession at the last minute um, that the audit revealed, which I think is important for your viewers who I've been here um, multiple times talking about long-term civil rights infrastructure. The fact that Mark Zuckerberg 
can't make these decisions alone. Um, that and the fact of the matter is, is that he's the kind of singular in making these decisions. And over and over again, he reveals himself to be someone that doesn't understand civil rights. And so we've been demanding someone in the C-suite that has civil rights um, expertise. They did create a new position of vice president um, of civil rights um, to sort of sit at the senior level, not in the C-suite. Um, that is a concession from where we were previously at with sort of no position whatsoever. We are still pushing to make sure this person has the type of um, reach and power necessary to be in the room when decisions are being made. So it's not just folks like Joel Kaplan who were, you know, who sat behind Brett Kavanaugh during the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court and has been part of organizations and groups which have really worked to suppress the vote over the years. So all, all I have to say is that, you know, the civil rights audit really was about a list of recommendations. What actually happens next will be, does Facebook um, implement these recommendations? Everything we know from the last two phases of the civil rights audit really tells us that Facebook probably won't. Um, and so that's why this boycott that we are pushing, that's why the advocacy on the outside is so critically important. Many companies are now um, involved in the boycott of Facebook. So we're hearing upwards of you know, anywhere between 850 to 1,000. We're trying to dissect that because some of them are brands that exist under other brands. So, you know, when Ben and Jerry's announces that they're sort of stepping away, they are sort of a subsidiary of Unilever. And so Unilever has stepped away. And so we're trying not to sort of double count multiple corporations. What we know is it is a broad range of companies from a big company like Unilever, which has so many brands under it, to companies like Coca-Cola and Verizon, which are just iconic and sort of brands. No one would talk about them as social justice warriors. It has been a far-reaching um, campaign that, you know, in many ways, um, I think, um, hasn't been simply about um, the demand from the social justice organizations, but a recognition of how much uh, Facebook has failed to even deal with some of the concerns that corporations have had about having their content sit next to white nationalist groups. Look, I ask corporations to do things all the time, and they don't always do it. And certainly 800 to 1,000 of them don't do it all at the same time. The fact that these corporations are standing with social justice organizations should speak to all of us about how out of step Facebook is that they have been managed to bring folks who have oftentimes been on the other side of so many other issues together. So, look, so Facebook obviously is resisting, resisting, resisting. You've got members of Congress who are saying it's time to break up Facebook. You have Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's been extremely vocal, saying that they are, they are essentially a utility, just like electric companies, phone companies, uh, and they were broken up in the past. Are we at that point? I think we're at that point. I wonder if we built enough sort of political power and understanding for what how that looks. And that's a prog progress. And part of what this campaign is doing is really exposing the ways in which if Mark Zuckerberg can sort of, uh, you know, thumb his nose at civil rights groups and major corporations and folks in government, then maybe they are too powerful and something needs to be done. I mean, that is the recognition of an institution that has become too powerful. You know, one thing, a couple of things about Facebook, right? And I've said this before, but I want to keep saying this so people really understand what does it mean to be an institution that's so powerful that I can't just tell you to delete your Facebook page and it will matter because they've become so ubiquitous in sort of the ways in which our media operates and the sort of ways in which media has changed over the last several years and 
how media is monetized. They've been so clear in terms of advertising and reach and how corporations need them to reach new markets. They've been such sort of a powerful force in the messenger market. So the messenger market is such an powerful way in which we communicate now. And Facebook, because they now own Instagram and WhatsApp, control about 75% of the messenger market. That alone makes it incredibly hard for there to be any competition. And competition is one of the places in which we look when we talk about sort of whether or not a corporation and an institution has become too big, where they sort of violate the principles of free market and don't allow for um, there to be competition. They can control the market. And as a result, changes um, as a result of public pressure. And so there are a lot of signs about whether or not Facebook needs to be broken up whether or not Facebook needs to be turned into a utility, whether Facebook needs some other type of regulation. I think a lot of these things are being on the table and are being debated in different ways. And I think that this absolutely has to be part of the conversation heading into the presidential election cycle, because we know that Facebook played such a crucial role in being weaponized against black communities in particular um, and suppressing the vote. And, you know, I just have these sort of you know, being in a kind of heated back and forth with uh, Mark Zuckerberg about the looters and shooters post um, in the uh, in the heat of this sort of uprisings that Donald Trump put on Facebook that clearly violated the four corners of the policy that Facebook has that really violated the policy around inciting violence. But to be sort of explained why it doesn't violate it, once again, recognizes why they need civil rights expertise. But at the end of the day, Mark called Donald Trump and they had a conversation about whether or not the sort of thing violated. And Mark kind of told him that, you know, he needed to tone it down and calm down. It's sort of like the idea when your like best friend is like the police chief and they know you're breaking the law and they pick up the phone and call you while meanwhile down the street they're locking everybody else up for doing the same thing. And this is the problem when you have an institution that's become so powerful and they're in their interest day to day is not about fairness, security, integrity, but their interest is about their own growth and their own profit. They will do whatever they can, and Facebook has proven time and time again that that's exactly what they'll do. All right, Rashad Robinson, Color of Change, keep it up, and we'll certainly keep covering this as well. All right, thanks. All right, folks, my panel right now is A. Scott Bolden, former chair, National Bar Association, <laughs> PAC, Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organization, uh, and will be later joined by Dr. Julian Malvo, economist, president, Emera Bennett College. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Bottom line is that, look, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want anybody telling him what the hell to do. Uh, this, if you, if anybody who's a student of history, if you go back, go back to read about Rockefeller, Carnegie, um, Vanderbilt, all of the different uh, uh, major industrialists, the bottom line is uh, President Teddy Roosevelt, they had to break those companies up. Uh, the Bells, uh, uh, Ma Pa Bell, all of that. I mean, we've seen that. The bottom line is Facebook is no longer just this small entity over here. In fact, if you look at Facebook and Google, they control upwards of 70 to 75 percent of all digital ad dollars spent. That means the rest of media, the rest, Comcast, Disney, all the other companies out there, us, all the large and the small companies, we all got to share 25%. They control the lion's share. That is significant power. That, that is significant power, but I don't know whether that's significant illegal power. Every example that you gave your listing audience, the Rockefellers and others, 
they were keeping people out of the market under the antitrust laws, and that's why they were broken up, AT&T and what have you. Here, this is all new legal ground, at least. They provide a platform, and their root causes have always been in providing a platform for these open discussions. Hate speech is, should not be allowed, but free speech, and this is many arguments in many cases say this is just a platform for free speech. People can choose to advertise elsewhere, and more importantly, Facebook is not keeping people out of the market. They're actually creating the market for these discussions and these communications. So I think you got you make a good social argument and civil rights argument, but I'm not sure that the legal argument is sufficient. Zuckerberg knows that, and right now he's got a friend in the White House. So I understand the challenge. Well, actually, he doesn't necessarily have a friend in the White House because Trump uh, has not been happy with him. He's called for the breakup. He wants to sort of do whatever Trump wants to ensure that doesn't happen. So you've had Republicans who've also been calling for a breakup. So it, 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 Trump, but first Donald of all, Trump has not been talking about to him about a public breakup or been using him, using his platform to bash him because they have these ongoing backdoor conversations. And in the end, they haven't broken the law per se, at least DOJ is not convinced of it. And so the civil rights organizations, while they are accurate and truthful, they, they and they have a cause, uh, I'm not sure they have a legal right to break up. And, and, and be honest with you, naming a VP for civil rights who's not in the C-suite, that's a small concession. There's got to be different leverage. And if there's a new president in the White House who agrees with these civil rights organizations, they may have to be patient until you get a Democrat in the White House to talk about either breaking them up or doing something else. But Eugene, but, but Eugene, what we're dealing with here, though, we are dealing with a company that is dominating. And Facebook also wants to have it both ways, Eugene. For some, sometimes they say, oh, we're a tech company. Then they go. Oh, no, we're a media company. Then it's, no, we're not a media company. We're a tech company. Um, you can be both. That, well, no, no. See, see no, but here, no, but here's the deal, Eugene. They want to dance depending upon yeah. what, what the they, issue they is. protection. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, they, they want they want the protection that comes with being a tech company. Um, the two the Section two thirty protection that comes with being a tech company, but they want the content that comes with being a media and publishing company. And look, they they are doing their best to have it both ways. Um, you know, but I will say I do probably tend to. Yeah, you know, I'm a libertarian at heart. I believe in markets. Um, you know, I do think that you know the, the probably the best solution here is for alternatives to emerge. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily want, you know, the heavy hand of the government coming in and deciding uh, what platform's too big and too powerful um, just because of yeah. the political nature of it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, do we really want, you know, Trump to come, you know, in an you know, alternative universe, Team Trump to come in and, and, you know, make the argument that, you know, some black media outlets are too slanted or operate, you know, in murky legal waters, X, Y, Z? No. Um, but, but I do think that as I agree with Scott, the civil rights organizations do have a, do have a, a valid argument here. And I think, you know, companies don't have an obligation to advertise on Facebook. You know, um, you could pull those ad dollars and I think, you know, it may just take a more coordinated effort to, you know, cause the thing is this, it's just like with uh, political donations, right? Your big donors, you know, they're big donors. They're able to get big chunks. But that mass that comes from the small, the small guy. And that's where um, their money comes from. That's, that's where their money comes from. Look, right. 6 to 8%, max 10% comes from the major companies. Facebook money comes from the smaller dollars.
Yep. And, and the thing is this, and the thing is this, until there's another way for a small startup company, right? You know, somebody that's opened up a Shopify store to come in and advertise and, 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 and reach a broad audience at a really, really, you know, cheap cost per acquisition, um, you, you're going to have this issue um, because it becomes okay, yep. the easiest way for me to grow my business is to advertise on Facebook and Instagram. And, yeah, but, and, but you Eugene, if, if I may. Final comment, final comment. The rights organizations are this hate speech issue. It's much easier for both sides to just put, to, to put the kibosh on the hate speech, and then that would be a decent medium. Shutting them down, let me tell you something, Democrats and Republicans don't want to do that per se, yeah. or at least they'll do it as a last resort, because... Where do you begin and where does that end in the free market system in well, this capitalistic country? Well, the problem is, again, Mark Zuckerberg wants to have it both ways. He wants to have, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. And, and he will until well, someone stops him. No, he, he will. No, he will like until. Like No, he will until you begin to see the political pressure saying, if you don't mm -hmm. make some changes, we're going to break your ass up. And at that, the thing is, it's about. No, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Again, though. Again, though. I understand that, but trust me. If he begins to feel that particular pressure, he is going. Right now, he's already said internally, "Hey, these people are going to come back." No, if they stay away, you keep chipping away at his dollars. But if he begins to feel the intense pressure on Capitol Hill, trust me, he'll get the message. Folks, let's go to our next story. Uh, in Atlanta over the weekend, a local armed black militia made headlines on the 4th of July by challenging the KKK during a march from the city of Stone Mountain to Stone Mountain Park. Of course, uh, that's where, of course, there's this huge, this huge mural, if you will, uh, etched into stone there uh, of these uh, Confederates. The militia calls itself not the Not Fucking Around Coalition. Watch this. Now, the leader said the march was the result of threats made against blacks by members of the KKK and other white supremacist groups. Grandmaster Jay, founder of the group, joins me now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Grandmaster Jay, how you doing? Roland, good to be here. How are you? Doing great. First and foremost, uh, how many folks did you have out there? We had a total of 1,500 that were in the formation, and then we had a lot of folks that were unable to carry weapons but still were in uniform that numbered about another 150. And then, of course, you had a volume of spectators that wanted to trail along to see what was going to happen. They numbered at about another 150. So you, um, how, how long did it take for you to coordinate this? Uh, and, and, and was it also meant uh, to let folks know, not just in Atlanta but around the country, uh, that there are African-Americans today, who, in many ways, who were like the deacons of the defense in the 1960s, uh, who protected black communities from, uh, from the KKK. I would answer that in a twofold answer. First, it, was, it had a twofold purpose. If you remember with the, uh, with the murder of Ahmaud Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, those were our members that showed up uh, armed, the armed citizens you heard about. That was our first 
a foray into this matter that has gotten completely out of control with violence happening at the hands of, I hate to say it, white Americans against what appears to be predominantly black Americans, not saying other people don't get shot, but for uh, for the racial piece to be added in there on top of everything else that we've been going through with the quarantine, the, the pandemic and so forth, loss of jobs, and you know, of course the, the, tension, the tension being risen in the country, that we had reached a point that even though we had gone through all of that, uh, there was a remnant of us that's been in place for quite some time. Uh, we're, we're the older guys. We're the mature guys. We're your vets. We're your, we're your folks who are responsible gun owners. We're the individuals that, you know, we remember the 60s, or 70s, the 70s, 80s, the 90s, and now here in the 20s, we're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, we, we, we know the law. We're law-abiding gun, gun owners, so we understand the Constitution. And, of course, we all believe in the Second Amendment of the Constitution and the First Amendment. So... Uh, the first show of force was pretty much just to let folks know that uh, this is not the way that we want to see things progress. But if they do, we're going to have to uh, take Malcolm X's words and defend ourselves against these uh, continued attacks. So we decided to do two things. The first thing was uh, to exercise our constitutional right uh, to bear arms uh, in accordance with the law and, of course, to peacefully assemble. And then at the same time, send what we felt was a message to the heart of what we feel is probably the driving engine behind a lot of what is now coming to light. Uh, the FBI report that said that there would be an insurgence of white supremacists and those folks into law enforcement, into the military, has begun to, to bear fruit. We're seeing that in the increased numbers of uh, police-involved shootings. We're also starting to see certain behaviors that are not so much related to the police, but are related to the Jim Crow era and, and related to the era of lynching. Uh, a spate of lynchings across the country that no one seems to want to explain, like all of a sudden black men became experts on how to tie nooses and jumped off of trees all of a sudden, when the history that we have within our culture is that hanging is the last thing that a black man is going to think about doing, not taking anything away from suicide rates, which we studied. But in this particular instance, given the atmosphere that we were seeing, with the resurgence of what appears to be very evident white militia that the police are unwilling to even so much as detain as they do black folks. Uh, with the rise in the protests that happened after uh, George Floyd, and then again the increased uh, presence of what we could only deem as uh, agitators, dressed like police but heavily armed, uh, we thought it would be in our best interest to send a message to the heart of what we believe is the driving engine behind that, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, what we found out when we dealt with the McMichaels and the, Mr. Brian down in Brunswick is that they were all members of the same Klan Lodge, uh, which told us we took, spoke volumes. And when we found out that the, uh, the most of the folks in the town were OK with that, we know about the Deep South. Well, in this particular instance, uh, Stone Mountain represents the birthplace or the rebirth place of the Ku Klux Klan. So we decided to do something that had never been done before. And that was to peacefully assemble a formation, uh, not a mob, not a bunch of protesters, not a demonstration, but to call a formation of our black militia, which is what we are, and to actually go up to the mountain and uh, make a statement uh, that we wanted to make under the, first under the First Amendment to the Constitution, and then leave. That was the intention. Uh, in the process of us planning this, here comes the threat. And this threat was communicated by major media, communicated by the White House, Department of Justice. So uh, we took it at face value, even though uh, we hadn't seen anything of some of these other threats. Uh, you were not going to continue to threaten the black race. It was not going to happen. And it was time for us to show folks that you know, we can defend ourselves. There's been a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, where folks are trying to paint us as a terrorist group or that we're, we're, we're out to attack folks. And, you know, no, that's not the purpose. The purpose was to send the message. The message was sent uh, very well. And we also demonstrated that we could organize ourselves in such a fashion that no one got hurt.
incidences of anyone accidentally killing themselves. Uh, there was no property damage. Uh, there were some exchanges of words uh, between some of the folks who were made to leave the park. Uh, folks don't understand that the law enforcement evacuated the park when we came. They closed the park for us to avoid any conflict. So it was a very peaceful event. As a matter of fact, it was a history-making event because it happened simultaneously with another march that we had uh, in Phoenix, Arizona at the exact same time. This was a message to all of the white militia and to all of the folks who continue to believe that you can treat black folks any particular type of way and that we will not stand up as U.S. citizens and arm ourselves per the Constitution. When you on that particular point there, I mean, we have seen all of these different uh, we've seen all of these different um, um, white uh, militia groups uh, come out mad, protesting. They don't have, uh, you know, they, they don't want to wear masks, things along those lines, uh, and, 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 and storming state capitals. What I've said to people that when I see this video, the actions of these black folks totally different than what I've seen for some of these white protesters in Michigan and Wisconsin. I mean, Absolutely. And, but people all say, oh, my God. Because, again, we know how America is. We always say it. America freaks the hell out when black folks with guns show up in public. Well, well, you have to understand something, Roland. If you've read the book Brainwashed by Tom Burrell, it talks a lot about. Oh, yeah. I actually, I, I actually interviewed Tom Burrell. So know him well. Great book. Great book. He actually talks about a lot of the behaviors that have been ingrained into certain cultures so that automatically by default, we automatically assume something to be wrong, even if it's not against the law. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is the fact that African-Americans have been socialized to believe that the presence of guns is an evil thing. And that's why uh, the, the image of the black man uh, being the evil uh, crime marauding across the, you know, rape, robbing and pillaging as if this is a birth of a new nation uh, has been ingrained on both sides of the, of the fence. However, when white folks decide they want to pick up guns and, and run up on state houses and, and threaten the police and nothing happens, black folks see that and go, well, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And, and as you all know, it's no fun when the rabbit has the gun. So uh, to be honest with you, uh, we again are, are, are not a mob uh, and we're not, we're not talking about something that we feel about. We're looking at a situation that is deteriorating and we feel we have to defend ourselves. Our policing models are broken. Remote policing does not work. Uh, we feel there's a need for us to get back to community policing. We feel there's a need for us to start protecting our own communities again under the laws that are established in the land and also the, 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 the educating of our own people not just gun clubs, but the actual ability that a gun is necessary for you to have on your person legally in this apartheid-like environment that we live in in the United States. Well, and the reality is, which I've said to people, that if you choose not to, you don't have to. Uh, look, I fired a gun one time at the FBI Academy. It was a, a submachine <laughs> gun. I was a grossly overrated experience. So I was like, yo, I'll go back to playing golf. But if somebody, if somebody, I mean, that's just, that's just me. And so I've never, my family has never had one in our household. That's just me. I don't need to have one. My brother, he go, he's gone out hunting with his son and his daughter. Great. Uh, and again, but, but, but the thing though is we also understand the history when those black Panthers rolled up in the state capital in Sacramento, then white legislators freaked the hell out, uh, and immediately, uh, moved against that. And in fact, if you also take it even further, uh, to even go back, the creation of the NRA and creation. I mean, bottom line is y y y white folks in this country have always had a response to black resistance by, grab by, by grabbing guns. And what well, I let, me, let, me, let me throw something in there, Roland. Here's the deal. There, there's two things that we have to address before we can go any further. The first thing is, is that it, the double standard. 
you know, the hypocrisy of it all. Uh, white right. militia marches, nobody says anything. A couple of guys get locked up in Virginia for impersonating police officers with twisty ties to throw somebody in a truck and go lynch him. Nobody says anything. Black folks assemble to peacefully uh, march to a to a notoriously controversial landmark, may say a few words under the, under the First Amendment rights, and all of a sudden, I mean, I've seen the headlines around the world, everything from anti-Semitic, which we're not, uh, to we're, we're out to attack white folks, to we're trying to take Texas. Texas is already gearing <laughs> up for an invasion. We heard they're getting ready. Uh, people are telling us to come on down, let's duke it out, and we're like, that's not what we said. Well, but here's so, the deal, though. For the folks who don't understand in Texas, the, uh, the new Black Panther Party, look, I, I, I covered those guys in Dallas, and I, rem I remember being there. People the like, oh, my God, these black but people the with guns. is, but, we're but, not but, taking Texas. No, 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 but, but, no, but follow, no, follow me here. What I'm saying is, I'm born and raised there. I was covering those sure. guys in Dallas. People were sure. freaking out, and I'm sitting there going, Tape, wait a minute. Uh, black folks walking around with weapons, because, I mean, I was there when Khalid Muhammad was with them. They went to right. the James Bird uh, when they went there, and they had their guns, and people were freaking out. And I was like, yo, the white folks over there got their guns. Open carry state. Open. It doesn't say open carry for white people. It says open carry. Open carry, exactly. Now, now, here's the second part, and this is the part where I've been waiting to say this to you. I want to I thank you. Because you are the first person in black news media who saw fit to have a conversation with us about a historic event that has happened that has been ignored by mainstream media. Uh, it has been ignored, especially by black media. And believe it or not, most folks are hearing one twisted version or another. So folks were wondering when were you guys going to show up? And I wanted to thank you, Roland, because I, someone said, you know, Roland wants to wants to have you come on. And I'm like, what, you mean Roland Martin? Someone finally spoke up. Roland, I, I have to tell you that you, I have newfound respect for you. After the comedy show you put on on um, on um, on um, on Monique's page, Monique Presley's page, uh, I thought that that was hilarious. I knew, didn't know you could be so funny. But now you have my newfound <laughs> respect in journalism again. And I want to thank you for being the first black um, news media outlet of major proportions to actually have the in fact come on, discuss it was what we were doing, why we were doing it, and to and to speak from the perspective of the black citizen. I have so uh, there are people who are commenting on on Periscope. I see them on Facebook and YouTube uh, as well. And so uh, one of the things that I saw one particular comment the folks wanted to get wanted to get from you is that we've we've seen the shootings that have taken place in Atlanta, the eight year old girl being killed as well. Um, and one of the one of the folks have said, should there also be this presence in protecting African-Americans in cases like that? W what is your comment to that? You know, it's, it's kind of ironic that they asked that question, because once we completed uh, the march on Stone Mountain and we were done and we had been escorted out of the park, uh, we actually went down to the Wendy's uh, where Richard Brooks was killed. And uh, we met with the young men that were out there guarding the place, and they asked us for pointers. And one of the guys even said when we got there, Where, what took you guys so long to get here? And we walked around, and they showed us the place. They showed us the stores. And we told them, you guys want to get some training. You guys want to, you know, if you want to do this, you got to do it right. And everything was great. And then we left to escort Rashad's Brooks' sister down to Centennial Park uh, to a reparations rally. She asked us to be her security. And while we were down there, you know, again, it was a great time. And then we left. We're smart enough not to hang around any town after sunset. We're not that stupid. So we were long gone. We're not from Georgia. Uh, some of us were, but we all didn't know that we should disappear. And then to hear what happened later, uh, the shooting and so forth, was distressing us because it was right where we was. And we kind of felt like at first we thought it was, you know, someone was trying to be retaliatory because we were there. 
uh, because the young men did tell us that the Ku Klux Klan had come by and shot up the place a couple of nights before. But then again, I can tell you now that the state of things in Atlanta at that time, there was lawlessness not just in that area, it was throughout the city. You know, we saw a decreased police presence, uh, and we saw a lot of folks who were taking advantage of that. So the, the, the hearing of that shooting distressed us. But what probably uh, incensed me even more was the fact that uh, there was not a structure like us in place that was already doing community policing. Because now that we've got a photograph and a videotape of the young man, uh, that's obviously not even qualified to be in the NFAC. We are an old folks organization. There are no young kids, per se, in our organization. Now that we've got a video of what this young man looks like, and we know there are three or four other suspects involved, we, too, have gone public to demand that that individual be turned over by the community uh, so that they can be dealt with, because that is inexcusable. And, yes, we do believe that is another justification for us to have our own community policing as opposed to remote policing, because those folks know who's in their neighborhood. So I do support that, and that is one of the tenets of the NFAC. And you're speaking about the shooting death of Sequoia Turner. Uh, folks, go to my iPad. This is the photo that authorities released. Uh, they are looking to question this individual uh, in uh, that particular shooting. Uh, of course, we also uh, have, uh, there were several Af young black kids who were killed in Chicago uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, last question for you, and I've got a people I've seen, I'm reading comments uh, from people who literally are commenting right now on Facebook. Uh, to the people who normally watch it on our YouTube channel, we ha we're having some issues there, it's buffering, so my apologies there. So if you got a problem with our YouTube channel, go to our Facebook page or our Periscope page, because we're streaming on all three. Uh, so Grandmaster Jay, the question to you is, folks are saying, um, do you have chapters in other cities? And if so, is there a central location where people can go to get more information? Uh, they also want to know about starting chapters in their own place as well under your group's banner. They want to know where do they get information? Absolutely. Uh, anyone who is there, there are two, two answers. Anyone who's interested in becoming a member of InFact, um, you can go to in, info at blacknfac.com. I'll say it again. Info at black nfac.com and give us your contact information there is a vetting process uh, and some of those they have to do with the ability to own guns and attain or carry concealed so you know your own your own background so you know act accordingly uh, the other if you want information on the group itself uh, you can either come directly to me myself and through our our portal on instagram that's my official instagram account that's the official Grandmaster Jay on Instagram for the time being. Instagram is censoring us very heavily these days, as is Facebook. So we're looking at moving to other platforms. I am here on YouTube, but my YouTube may become the new place. But for right now, we are controlling the flow of information, Roland. Uh, we're controlling it because we learned our lessons from COINTELPRO. We learned our lessons from Operation Black Messiah. We've learned our lessons. So we're not as openly uh, with our information as some organizations are. We are a militia. Uh, so we have to protect that information so we control the, the, the input of whatever uh, that comes in. Additionally, anyone uh, who's curious about chapters, there are chapters around the country. We're still birthing chapters. As a matter of fact, the young man in Louisiana uh, that, that they had the run in last week, uh, him and I have talked several times about them becoming the Louisiana arm of the NFAC. Uh, if you already have a, a militia type organization in your city, feel free to reach out to us and then we can have a conversation and then we can talk about whether or not we append that because we are a coalition, uh, which means that we work along with different elements. However, our core group itself uh, is pretty large. Uh, so if you want to join the NFAC directly, that's what you saw in, in uh, Stone Mountain. Those were all NFAC. Uh, then you please feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, there is going to be an out end with this role. We're going to do a recruiting tour 
uh, where I am going to come to certain cities. And if you already have your chapter ready to go, I'll have my team with me. We'll inspect your, your, your folks. We'll make sure everybody's up to snuff. We'll check documentation and then we'll swear you in. And you are then officially a member of this of our particular organization. What happened in Stone Mountain also is we swore in all of those people. Uh, they had come from many different places. This was their final step. Uh, the two and a half mile road march up and down hills in the hot sun with all the quarantine foods you ate was your was your final test to see if you could make it uh, into the NFAC. But that is our that that's that's all I have. And I thank you for having me. And I would hope that everyone realizes that we're setting an example of how you should respond in the ongoing face of aggression against the black community. Thank uh, you again, Roland. I uh, appreciate it. And again, for the folks uh, who are out there, I, I unfortunately, I do not have it with me, but it is on my uh, bookshelf at home. I'm trying to uh, actually uh, pull it up right now. Just give me a second. I want to. So, so for the folks who, again, who don't understand uh, history, uh, this actually, uh, Lance Hill is the author uh, of a book. Go, go ahead and uh, go ahead and show this. Uh, the Deacons for Defense, Armed Resistance and the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, and so you need to understand that particular book. Uh, and I'm going to pull up another book. Just give me a second uh, for folks who don't know. I actually interviewed him. He was one of the leaders, of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, Charles Cobb. Uh, and Charles Cobb also wrote a book. Um, uh, give me one second. And again, remember last week we were discussing this. Greg, Dr. Greg Carr showed you a particular book as well um, uh, that um, uh, uh, that, uh, that that dealt with the issue of the history of African-Americans uh, and gun rights. Uh, Charles Cobb's book. I'm looking for the cover, uh, but uh, I think it was called uh, This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed. And he was actually talking about. Again, the the history of gun rights during the Black Freedom Movement. Grandmaster Jay, we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mr. Martin. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, let's talk about coronavirus. There are three million one hundred twenty-eight thousand two hundred ninety-two confirmed cases in the United States. One hundred thirty-four thousand four hundred twenty-four people have died, and one point three million folks are recovering. Now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will issue new guidelines on school openings after Donald Trump questioned. The current ones, he tweeted this, I disagree with CDC Gov on their very tough and expensive guidelines for opening schools. While they want open, they are asking schools to do very impractical things. I will be meeting with them. In another tweet, uh, he threatened to cut funding for schools if they did not open. Now, despite surges in some parts of the country, he is pushing for all schools to reopen by the fall. In fact, Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, has also said that. But states are still pushing back, not only on this, on other issues. Just this afternoon, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner uh, and that state's convention organizations uh, ordered the Texas Republican Party that they cannot at the George Brown Convention Center in Houston next weekend. Now, here's what's interesting. Republicans voted to move forward for their state convention in Houston, but their speakers will be speaking remotely. Really? So y'all scared to come speak, but y'all want folks to go back to school in the fall. Hmm. Joining us right now is infectious disease expert specialist, Dr. Alexa Gaffney. Dr. Gaffney, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thanks for having me on, Roland. Here's what's interesting. These folks have not talked to, they, they are not communicating with teachers. They're not communicating with administrators. They're not communicating with school staff, all of the people who are going to have to be in these schools. Uh, you have schools who are struggling, trying to figure out uh, what 
protocol they're going to employ. My two twin nieces uh, who go to a school, we, 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 we've already gotten information and my wife was on a Zoom going over the information on what that's going to entail. It might be mean them going to school physically for two days and then being, of course, being, uh, being digital for three days. But for this administration to blast the CDC, the actual scientist who, are, who understand this, the people who understand why this is important, to have the kind of pressure being brought to bear by saying we're going to take your funding. I, I have never these are thugs. These are thugs who don't believe in science. These are thugs who don't believe what is fair, who don't really care about the children. And I'm going to tell you right now, Dr. Gaffney, it's going to happen if you have these kids go back and all of a sudden 20, 30, 50, 100 kids uh, come down with coronavirus. We already know 7,000 kids have gotten infected in Florida. The bottom line is here. You're going to see a panic that we have not seen before. Uh, we're not hearing Dr. Gaffney, so uh, let me know what's happening with the audience. Okay, uh, Doc, are you muted? Double check your butt. Make sure you're not muted. All right. Let's see here. Well, let's figure it out. We're waiting on Doc to figure it out there. So we'll. Uh, so just let me know when uh, she is. Um, when we have her audio fixed there. Okay, so let's go to let's go to uh, our panel. Let me know when Dr. Gaffney's audio is fixed. Uh, Eugene, I'll start with you. I mean, th this is crazy what is happening. I mean, these thugs are basically trying to, uh, you know, bash, you know, the CDC and force them to come up with some guidelines that don't make sense. I mean, th this is absolutely crazy. People will literally die because Trump wants to play a political game. I mean, they will literally die. Um, you know, while you may not have as many deaths among the young and among children, you know, they can still be carriers to people that are at risk. And that has to be taken into account when you're, when you're you know, dealing with opening up schools. Um, you know, employees will be at risk and, uh, and, and, you know, the children will become carriers. And, you know, Teen Trump doesn't care about that. All they care about right now is just is literally just trying to win an election. Um, you know, he, he's terrified. He's not going to have the convention he wants in Jacksonville. You know, they're trying to, you know, position and, and, and show that, oh, you know, this isn't as bad as it is. We can open up the economy, gotcha. open up uh, schools. Got it. Hold tight one second. Eugene, hold on one second. I want to go Dr. Gaffney. We think we got her back. Doc, you there? I'm here. Okay, go ahead with your comments. All right. Sorry about the mishap before. But we are playing in dangerous territory and to endanger the lives of our children is absolutely unacceptable. I'm shocked that um, states are allowing even summer camps to open, um, but I understand that the pressure of parents going back to work. But to, to enforce this idea that the schools are working too hard or are going to spend too much money in an attempt to even keep our children safe when they return to school is ridiculous. The, the fallout or the potential fallout of children going to school, gathering together, getting sick, because it's going to be extremely challenging to keep small children safe and socially distanced. We can't even get it done with our teenagers um, who have a, a greater ability to ration and reason and keep distance, but still do not. How do we expect our children to safely do that? So small children coming back home 
to parents and to grandparents, because many folks in the United States are living in multi-generational household is a setup for disaster. We're already in the midst of a man-made surge because people could not resist the urge to go out to bars and party and gather at their homes. And we're expecting a natural surge come fall and winter when the cough, cold and flu season comes in. So on top of dealing with COVID 2019, we're going to be dealing with flu and RSV and typical strains of coronavirus and rhinovirus. And we are setting ourselves up for disaster. And so this, 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 Senator Rand Paul, I remember when he was on, he was just going on, 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 you know, schools got to reopen. And I'm sitting there going, do y'all understand what you're saying? And then this whole notion, they've been peddling this whole deal, and which is also part of the problem, I think, from initially from Fauci and others that, well, young folks shouldn't have to worry about this. And all of a sudden we're seeing, we're seeing people in their 40s dying now 30s and 20s, and now we're seeing teenagers, and now we're seeing younger people. We had, we had a doc on Sunday who said, we don't know what this disease does. It yeah. hits people. So you have the Broadway actor who dies, who had no, no, no who was very healthy. Uh, I, read the, yeah. I read the story about a guy who was a hiker, an avid uh, outdoorsman who almost died from this. Folk, they have no idea. So to sit here and act like, oh, no, no, the kids will be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but even if they survive it, you're still going to have health issues after that. Exactly. So people see the numbers and they see that all of these people have recovered, but they have no understanding of what recovered means. Recovered means you didn't die. It means you left the hospital or it means you tested negative since testing positive for the virus. I have patients and I know people who are very close to me who have recovered from COVID, but now they're on dialysis when they were perfectly healthy. I have people who've recovered and now they have chronic lung injury and they're on oxygen. I have people who have recovered, they're disabled and unable to work. People are going into nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities and they'll need weeks and months of rehab before they can go home and they still may not be ready to return to work. So this idea that you know we're doing this because we need to rescue our economy, if we take out our healthy folks who are able to go to work and contribute to the economy and allow them to get this virus, who's going to be working to generate dollars or spend money anyhow? Um, it's, it's just very dangerous thinking. It's very short-sighted. Uh, it's not scientifically or factually based, the decisions that are being made. And we're choosing dollars over life and we're not looking at the long-term implications for this. We're driving up healthcare costs in the short term and the long term by allowing people to go out and get sick. And we're sending mixed messaging by opening things up and suggesting that it is safe for people to congregate and it is not. There's really not a safe number or a safe crowd size that you can put on and say that people can safely distance. Human nature is human nature and people have not seen each other for weeks or months. It's very challenging for people to resist the urge to reach out and touch, reach out and hug one another. You know, we see people either not wearing masks at all or wearing masks as, you know, chin straps basically. So they're not covering their mouth, they're not covering their nose, and they're not doing the things that they need to do to prevent the spread of this infection. This is not the time to get tired or to get fatigued. This is not the time to buy into the conspiracy theories or the claims that this is a hoax. COVID is very real. It is taking people out. We are seeing the numbers rise consistently and exponentially on a daily basis. 
We are up, up 50,000 plus new cases in the United States. We're running out of ICU beds in, te in Texas and Arizona. Hospitals are reaching their capacity. And we're back to where we were in mid-April. Yep. And we know exactly what this virus can do. And there's still a lot more that we don't know about what this virus can do. We never predicted that people would get blood clots in their legs or lungs or suffer heart attacks or suffer strokes as a result of this infection. And so these are all the things that are at stake. And young people are kidding themselves if they think that they can't get sick or like you say, it can't happen to you, it can happen to you. Um, and, you know, the government is kidding itself if they think that we won't see a greater fallout if we allow our children to return to school. We haven't seen greater numbers because the children were pulled out of school. But schools are petri dishes. They're germ factories. Children touch one another. They touch everything. There's a lot of um, shared space. And children are not going to go behind themselves and clean up and disinfect the same way that adults would, nor can a teacher maintain a classroom environment and and keep it clean and disinfected to the degree that would be required Got to it. quote unquote keep a school safe but you can't keep a school safe that's the reality yep and that's the issue that we're facing dr alexa gaffney uh we certainly appreciate it thank you so very much thanks for having me on all right okay folks so here's a, here's a deal here uh, i don't want and i want to go to you um um uh, julian before i go to my next guest dr uh, patrice cullis Julian, colleges are dealing with this. I just got the note. The Ivy Leagues have canceled all sports until the fall. They announced that they're going to be going to online learning only. Hampton University announced the exact same thing. Some other HBCUs are saying they are going to have classes, but the, it's going to be a combination of online uh, as well as in person. Uh, folks are trying to feel their way. It doesn't help to have an administration sort of uh, being heavy handed with this whole deal. This administration has totally dropped the ball. Betsy Devoid, as in devoid of good sense, has failed to put out any guidelines. So people are making it up along the way. For HBCUs, especially small HBCUs, who are de de tuition dependent, this is almost a death knell unless we do something about that. Uh, but for even a Harvard or a Stanford, we're going to see dollars going down. We're going to see um, basically a hybrid way of delivering higher education. The, the real challenge is if there were national guidelines, national thoughts, even, people could say, okay, I can cut on that. But young people who graduated in 2020, in fall of 2020, are basically going to have what I call a scar year. When something drastic happens, young people are scarred, which means it basically carries through the rest of their lives. Uh, these young people are going to be scarred in terms of how their education and then their careers develop. And this is all the fault of this administration. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before I go to Patrice Colors, uh, Eugene, go ahead with your comment. Sorry, muted. Um, look, the thing is this, um, you know, the Trump administration, they're, they're playing a risky game here. They're playing a game of literally people's lives. Um, apparently unsatisfied with 130-odd thousand people dead. Um, you know, for them, it's literally about uh, winning the November election. And, uh, you know, it has, at this point, you know, it has to be more than that, especially they claim to be pro-life. Uh, uh, Scott, your comment. You know, I've, I've been tweeting about this. I've said this administration is deaf, they're dumb, and they're dangerous. And you got all three. They're, they're dangerous because uh, of everything your guests have said and the doctors said. 
They're dumb because of everything they've said, and they're dangerous because they've made a political decision. You can call it what you want. They've made a political decision to live with COVID-19 between now and November, because with the economy decimated, he knows he cannot win. And so his philosophy or their decision-making is that America is going to have to live with COVID. And we're going to have some people that will die. That's the cost of getting the economy back and the cost of attempting to win the election in November. I think it's too late, but this is really the three Ds, death, dumb, and dangerous. Uh, well, trust me, uh, this team here uh, is real good uh, on the dumb part. Got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk with Patrice Cullors, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, about the movement for black lives. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. Someday soon, the time of Trump will pass. This circus of incompetence, corruption, and cruelty will end. When it does, the men and women in Trump's Republican Party will come to you, telling you they can repair the damage he's done. They'll beg you to forget their votes to exonerate Trump from his crimes, ask you to forgive their silence, their cowardice, and their betrayals as Trump wrecked this nation. Every time they had a choice between America and Trump, they chose Trump. Every time they were called to the service of this nation and their sacred oath, they chose Trump. Every time. Learn their names. Remember their And never, ever trust them again. What is the secret of your success? The president was given or inherited a large portion of his father's real estate fortune worth at least $413 million today. Nine out of 10 people don't like what they do. They go from job to job, ultimately becoming nothing. You'll absolutely love Trump steaks. The three Atlantic City casinos filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Two years after it opened, the company was history. It never made a profit. Trump University was fraudulent. His family's charity accused of misusing funds. Shakespeare said, never follow an empty wagon up here. Never follow an empty wagon. Because nothing ever falls off. Well, the reason those ads are critically important, especially that first one, is that Donald Trump was allowed to do what he has been doing by Republicans who have been drunk with power. You look at a Senator Lindsey Graham, who had all sort of nasty things to say, pretty much saying that following him would kill the Republican Party and destroy this country, yet he was perfectly fine uh, with allowing Trump to do what he does. Then, of course, you have... 
uh, all of these other Republicans, Senator Marco Rubio, no guts. Senator Joni, er Joni Ernst, just the other day when she was questioned where she was uh, quoted back when she criticized Obama when there were two Ebola deaths in the United States. Yet we've had 134,000 people die due to coronavirus. And she says that Trump, Donald Trump is doing a good, good job. And of course, you got Su Senator Susan Collins with her nonsense. And we can go on and on and on. But the fact of the matter is this here. All these people will stay in power unless we actually mobilize, organize, and vote. I have told you, Donald Trump and the Republicans have appointed 200 federal judges. Let me be clear, y'all. Donald Trump and the Republicans have appointed and confirmed 25% of all federal judges in America. 25% of all federal judges in America. If he gets another four years, they will appoint more federal judges. That means that at the end of four years, he will have appointed half of all the federal judges in the United States. I want you to hear me clearly. Half. They are purposely appointing people who are between the ages of 35 and 45. They are purposely doing this. Do you follow me? On purpose, they're doing this. That's what is going on here because they want to be in control of the federal bench for the next 40 to 50 years. Every law that is passed in this country is passed, is passed. Why? Because it's going to be reviewed by the federal bench. We need to understand that it is going to be reviewed by federal judges. So if y'all are sitting here going, oh, man, this is really no big deal. I'm only, I, I can ignore the top of the ticket. No. The people who are senators that matter. If Democrats get control of the United States Senate, they only need to pick up four seats. They believe they're going to lose the Senator Doug Jones seat in Alabama to either Tommy Tuberville or former Senator Jeff Sessions. They understand that. Which means that right now they're leading in Arizona. Democrats are leading in Arizona. They are leading in Maine. You also have them slightly in Montana, and then you also a big lead in Colorado. Big lead in Arizona, big lead in Colorado, and then, of course, what you have uh, in Maine. That means you pick up one, you control the Senate. That means that you will, you will see more black progressive federal judges. That means you will see more Latino, Latina progressive judges. That means you're going to see federal judges who actually care about civil rights, who actually care about environmental rights. Don't lose this. White conservative evangelicals are scared to death right now because they absolutely want to control the federal bench, and that's what's going on. I need all of us paying attention. I need people sitting at home right now. I don't give a damn if you don't like Joe Biden. What I guarantee you is this here, and I said it four years ago, and as simple as this here, judges Hillary Clinton would appoint, would have appointed, look totally different than judges that Trump has appointed. Judges that Biden will appoint will look totally different than Donald Trump. In fact, Donald Trump is only appointed, what, one black federal judge? One? More than 80% of the federal judges that he has appointed have been white men. That's close to 85, 88%.
understand what is at play here. You had better understand your power cannot be underutilized. If you are in, listen y'all, there are two United States Senate seats up for real up for in November in Georgia. Two. Raphael Warnock is running for one. John Ossoff is running for the other on the Democratic side. You got Kelly Loeffler facing Doug Collins in a runoff, and then you got Sonny Perdue. Tom Tillis is facing Cunningham in North Carolina. Black folks can make the difference for that seat in North Carolina, can make the difference for those in Georgia. July 14th, you've got the runoff in Texas on the Democratic side to face, of course, the sitting United States Senator there, John Cornyn. Black folks can make the difference. Black votes can make the difference in Martha McSally versus Mark Kelly in Arizona. Folks, I need us to understand and for all the people, let me be real clear. I am not making a Democratic versus a Republican argument. I have never self-identified as either one. What I am making is here are two individuals running. Which one is more likely going to line up with the things that I care about? That's who I'm saying vote for. And we have watched. Republican senators stand with Donald Trump and literally vote on some of the most ridiculous things you've ever seen. I've shown you the facts when they voted to repeal anti-discrimination language that was to protect black people when it came to buying cars. One of the first things they repealed in the House and the Senate, Trump signed. Supreme Court Shelby v. Holder decision. House passed the bill. The Senate has refused to even bring up the bill. The lynching bill. Oh, for everybody who said, we don't need a lynching bill. Lynchings no longer exist. What just happened in Indiana over the weekend where that brother was almost lynched? Why Senator Rand Paul and the Republicans holding that up? Why won't Senator Mitch McConnell, majority leader, bring it up on the floor to allow them to actually vote on it. Y'all had better understand what's going on. Y'all had better understand the actions. You, you, you just saw the Supreme Court allow the Trump administration to expand the religious exemptions when it comes to uh, contraception and the Affordable Care Act. But why am I raising that? Because the Trump administration wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, which has a direct impact on the health of black people. So you can sit here with you sitting high and mighty and say this means nothing and I don't care. I'm going to sit this one out. You can engage in this dumbass conversation that I'm going to vote for Kanye West, which is stupid. It's not even real. You can play the game that you played in 2016, but you play that game is going to be dangerous. And the decision that you make come November is not going to just impact you. It's going to impact your children and your children's children. Let me say it again for my final point. 
Let me be clear. It will be 23 years before America becomes a nation majority of people of color. That's in 2043. They are purposely appointing white male federal judges who are 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 45. If you are a white man who's 50 or more, you ain't got no shot being appointed by Republicans because they want that person to be there for life. Which means that if you don't vote in November and you have a child, let's say in 2021, that means that when your child becomes 22, America will be a nation, majority of people of color, and those judges will still be sitting on the federal bench. And then if your child has a child at 22, and fast forward 20 years, those judges are still going to be on the bench. So yes, your vote in November has a direct impact on what happens to your children's children. Think about that when you choose to sit your ass at home bitching and moaning because you don't have the perfect candidate. I'm gonna go to my panel on that point. Julian, that's the thing that we need to, we, we've got to look at this that way. Republicans are playing long ball. And Republicans have always played long ball, while Democrats have generally played short ball. Uh, we saw that, I mean, the Reagan legacy is alive and well. The thing about the deregulation, all that is alive and well. He put it in there, and these people have moved it forward. Uh, what's that? Uh, Newt Gingrich. His legacy, the, the um, what did I call it? You know, anyway, the uh, contract on America, that's alive and well. The deregulation in terms of food stamps are all alive and well because Democrats don't think long term. President Obama, bless him. I mean, he, I, he's my theme song of if you think you're lonely now, wait until tonight, baby. Because basically some of us talked about him, but he was better than what we have here. But he did a lot of stuff in those last 16 months that now does not stand the test of time because of that. So Democrats are always running in, running in, running in, while Republicans are just basically putting foundations together. And so you're absolutely right about the judges. It's not only about the judges. We can look at the environmental piece, Roland, where many environmental protections have been basically um, taken away, labor protections taken away. And then with the corona, you know, I sound like a black person when I say the corona, but then with the corona, basically any protections they were were taken away. And then how does someone in the middle of a pandemic say, I want your health care back? So that's where we are. Eugene, you're, look, you're conservative. You understand the game that they play. Oh, absolutely. And look, the Federalist Society, um, you know, they exist solely to get judges appointed and elected across the country, right? Um, I think Democrats need to do one thing. One of the first things, uh, you know, when the Senate's retaken and Joe Biden is elected, that needs to happen, I mean, probably within the first week, um, need to very swiftly pass term limits for judges. Um, if five years is good for an FBI director, five years is good for a federal judge. And look, those judges can be reappointed. Um, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable for a uh, Democrat president to reappoint a good judge that was appointed by a Republican and, and vice versa. Um, 
But I do think probably the first thing that needs to happen is is term limits need to be, be put in place. And the term limit can start from the time that the the uh, uh, the, the bill is passed. Um, there are ways to do it. Um, and, and and what that what that will produce is a turnover of judges. You'll be able to get rid of some of these bad judges that were slipped through via the Trump administration and replace them with good judges in a really in a pretty swift swift uh, time span. What about grandfathering? What about grandfathering? I mean, if judges have been appointed to a lifetime appointment and then a Democrat comes in and says, we're going to do term limits, grandfathering would keep them there. Right. But here's the deal, though. The, the, the issue, the issue, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on a second. Scott, now go. It would only be grandfathered in if the legislation specifically. That's the first thing. Secondly, Roland, you're absolutely right. Winning is everything, and it is the only thing. And while we have this whole uh, effort uh, to get people registered to vote and a fair fight, I'll be honest with you. We need boots on the ground taking people to the polls. We need people giving out water and chairs, because down south they're going to make them wait forever. But the vote is just too important. Our money needs All right, Scott, we're losing. polls. Scott, we're educated already. Scott, we're losing you with your audio. So I want to read this here. This fool on YouTube, Ja Ellie or Eli, whatever. This what he. This what he. This what he writes. Rolling yeah, is guys, roll, rolling. Rolling is yes, working. yes. There's issues with Scott's audio. Like literally, it's really real choppy. So this is what he says. Rolling is trying to shame black people for not. Falling for the for the bullshit anymore. Stop trying roles, scare people. Judges have always been racist, white men. We have nothing else to lose at this point. You are an absolute complete dumbass. <laughs> let, let me let me just say this again, Ja Ellie or Ja Eli or whatever. You are a one hundred percent absolute dumbass. So allow me to explain. Go to my iPad, please, y'all. For the for the idiots like Ja Ellie, E-L-I or Eli. Idiots. I want you guys, hold up, please. I'm, I'm getting all this feedback there, so mute that for me. I want you to read this book here. This book is called Unlikely Heroes, a vivid account of the implementation of the Brown decision in the South by Southern federal judges committed to the rule of law. The, it's authored by Jack Bass. Ja Ellie, who is a dumbass, what you don't understand is that these were white men who took the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education decision, and they then interpret that and executed the decision. Let me say it again. They executed the decision. I am from Texas. There's a guy named William Wayne Justice. I got somebody over here to say, Roland, you have too much class to cuss. No, sometime you gotta cuss dumbasses out. As a guy named, as a guy named William Wayne Justice. William Wayne Justice was a federal judge who ruled that the Texas prison system degraded inmates and trashed the condition 
of those federal prisons. He oversaw the prison system in Texas for more than two decades. Google it. He died last year. Justice William Wayne Justice. I can go down the line, Ja Eli, of federal judges who played a crucial role in ensuring the protections against African Americans. Reuben, Hurricane, Reuben Carter, Reuben Hurricane Carter, it was a federal judge, white, who actually went above and beyond and considered the evidence in his case that freed him. I can go on and on. Now, let me be real clear. That does not mean that all white federal judges have been fair and impartial. It does not, does not mean that they have properly ruled in our favor, but you have got to be a complete dumbass to somehow suggest that we have nothing to lose. Because what you don't understand, and I'm tired of these idiots who don't read, who don't study, who don't know Jack, who don't realize that the ruling of a federal judge for or against can be used for the purpose of precedent 100 years from now. Let me say this again. Let me say this again, dumbass Ja, Ellie, or Eli, and people who think like you. The rulings of federal judges have been cited in Supreme Court decisions from more than a hundred years ago. Don't you think for a second that we have nothing to lose if we see more federal judges who were frankly anti-black? Eugene, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the federal judiciary has always been the backstop for civil rights movement from slavery to now. Um, you know, what we, which you often couldn't get done in the uh, legislatures or in the Congress or in the executive branch. Um, you know, there's this document there called the Constitution that, you know, the gentleman might want to take a look at that provided for a judiciary um, that, you know, at times and more times than not, uh, you know, used to protect us. Um, I, I mean, Brown versus Board is, is, uh, is probably the most blatant example, but there are, there are many others out there. Um, I mean, you know, when, I mean, look, you got somebody on the, that's, that's on death row. You need a judge to put a stop to the, you know, to put, to put a, a temporary order in place so the case is reviewed. I mean, I mean, there are, there are t countless of the examples of where the saving grace literally has been good judges. Um, you know, literally has been good judges. Um, you know, you know, without the catalyst around me, board, we may not be where we are today. And that came from good judges. Scott, are you there? I am. Can you see and hear me? No, we can't see you, but go ahead and talk. We can hear you. It's much better. Go ahead and talk. Well, well, these are Article Three courts, and they're all... Scott, and the Scott, Supreme... do you have a cricket yeah. phone? 
You are going in and out. Okay, try to talk down. Go ahead. I think it's your equipment. No. I think it's your equipment. Julian and Eugene sound great. <laughs> Listen, these are Article Three courts. Can you hear me? Go ahead. Your feet are Okay, y'all. Yeah, we can't hear Scott at all. I, I, I'm sorry. We just can't. It's just like we hear every five words. Julian, go ahead with your comment. Julian, go ahead. Guys, Julian. Yes, I'm here. Julian, go ahead. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Okay, I'm saying that we rely on the Constitution, although it's imperfect. And so that person you were... Uh, communicating with, I forgot his name, has something to do with the idiot, but um, it makes a difference if we vote. We cannot go down like we went down in 2016. A lot of people said, oh, gee, you know, we don't like Hillary. Well, you don't have to like her. Uh, Trump can't do anything that horrible. We've seen horrible. We've seen horrible in terms of the environment, horrible in terms of the labor market, horrible in terms of elections. How many polling places have been closed? And this man has attacked people's ability to vote by mail. So anyone who thinks that this vote does not matter just needs to go away. Just seriously needs to go away. Well, go again, to church or go someplace. It's, it's the fact is that it does matter. Yep, absolutely. It does. It does matter. And so uh, we're not going to play games. We're going to keep hammering this whole deal. But I'm trying to explain to y'all why conservative evangelicals, all they care about is the federal courts. And that's for a reason. Folks, remember the man and woman, uh, the, white, the white couple who used black paint and a large paint roller to vandalize that Black Lives Matter mural in California? We'll refresh your memory. Well, it's not happening in her town. Really, Nicole? <laughs> well, Nicole Anderson and David Nelson are now being charged with violation of civil rights, vandalism under $400, possession of tools to commit vandalism or graffiti, and hate crimes. How about them apples, Eugene? Look, I'm telling you, um, you know, it may not be happening in her town, but definitely is happening in her town. The charge is being dropped. And um, look, you know, hopefully this is an example that uh, deters, you know, other, uh, you know, MAGA hat wearing uh, ingrates that, you know, you decide to mess with these murals. Um, you will catch some some charges, and look, there were you know their their actions were racist and uh, they were they're valid hate crime. So I'm glad they were charged, and uh, let's see what happens here because you know charges one thing, convictions another. And here's some other charges. The San Francisco lawmaker introduced a new bill called the Karen Act. It stands for a caution against racially exploitative non-emergencies. San Francisco <clears throat> Supervisor Shaman Walton says that this bill would make it unlawful for someone to make a false report based on someone's race, ethnicity, religious affiliation, gender, or sexual orientation. The bill was created in response to recent incidents where a lot of white folks have been calling the police on innocent black people, Julian. You know, Dr. King once said, the law cannot make you love me, but it can keep you from lynching me. And that's what these laws and this movement is about. I don't care what white people think about black people. But when some silly white woman calls the police on a man who's bird watching, when, you know, when someone calls the police on a child who's selling lemonade, um, that is hateful. And so these laws are, we're moving to a place where at least hate is illegal. Doesn't mean that we love each other, but it does mean, as Dr. King said, it, the law can prevent you from lynching me. And so, a step in the right direction. 
Um, let's uh, now you spoke of that woman. She's actually being charged. Now the brother in that case, he's not not cooperating with uh, police. He said that she suffered enough. I mean, it, look, I, okay. He's a, he's a, he's probably a, a Buddhist or something. I, I you know look. I, bottom, bottom line is <laughs> Eugene. Look, black folks, we got so much mercy for everybody. We got mercy for everybody. Uh, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If that white woman had been successful calling the cops, that brother could have been dead. Damn that. Damn that. Yeah. Eugene, prosecute her ass. Exactly. Under the jail. Exactly. There, there ain't enough mercy in this world. You put my life at risk, throw the cuffs on and don't, no bail. You know, you know let's, let's get the reverse of that cash bail. That was the end of it. You know, one in the people out and holding them. You know, you know, it, it, her intent was to get him swatted and get him killed. And, you know, I, I don't, I mean, there, there is no level of Jesus, no level of mercy in this world. If you try to get me killed, I'm going to use every possible ramification to make sure you are dealt with. Yeah, simple as that. Simple as that. All right, y'all, a few weeks ago, an Oregon politician claimed that he received a racist head field letter and posted it on his public Facebook page. Well, after investigation into the matter, Jonathan Lopez, is, Jonathan Lopez confessed to writing the letter and filing a false report. The letter read, Mr. Lopez, you're not welcome here and will never be anything in this community or state. Uh, Umatilla County kills, uh, I don't know what that meant, like you, and are dumped in the fields and river. That's why our crops are the best. Don't waste your time trying to become anything in this county. We will make sure you never win. Your family suffers along with all the Mexicans in the area. American is for the God-fearing, pro-gun, pro-life humans who refuse to be controlled by the government. There's no room for you here. Sincerely, America. Police say Lopez could be charged with a misdemeanor for the incident. He should be charged with a, he should be charged with a misdemeanor, and he should resign from office because that's disgraceful. You know, Roland, it's interesting. It is. This, you're absolutely right. I don't know what's wrong with this man to do that when we have tensions so heightened. But here's what I do know: if you go back and look at Oregon's history. It was a time when black people were forbidden to live in Oregon. Um, there is tension there. I went there maybe 10 years ago for a speech, and I was told that I could not walk to the little deli around the corner and say, if you want something, we'll bring it to you. I'm like, well, you know, I like to walk. And there was an issue. So the tensions are there, but he was totally wrong to exploit them, and he should resign. Uh, he should do something with himself, and he should actually explain to us why he chose to do that. Eugene? Listen, um, you know, one of the biggest not hidden, but not so hidden secrets of this country is that we focus a lot on the racism uh, in South and maybe in the Midwest, but the hotbed that is in the Pacific Northwest is very real. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw the, the, the folk that are Bundy followers take over that uh, uh, DNR uh, encampment. Um, you know, the white supremacists and militia that are out there are very real. Um, and this guy, this, this legislator, you know, for him to, to try to stroke those flames with, with this, um, he absolutely should resign. He absolutely should be charged with a misdemeanor, um, minimally just for the resources that were wasted on this. I mean, these are the same people that will go and wave Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett, you know, um, when, you know, you have legislators doing this at a much, you know, something that's much more worse than anything just small like that did. All right, folks, y'all know what time it is. I'm white. I got you, Carl. Illegally selling water without a permit? On my property. Whoa! Hey! I'm uncomfortable.
Well, y'all, we have another neighborhood, Karen, in North Carolina, who decided to call the police on two black and Latinx residents because she didn't recognize them. <clears throat> you know me? No, I know who lives here and who doesn't. You know who lives here? You. Yeah. You know who lives here? Yeah, I do. How do you know that I don't live here? Let me here? tell you how. Because I was here when this neighborhood was built, and I knew every single person who bought in here. Are I've you? I've here since 2010. Are you serious right now? I'm so serious. So you know everybody that You know everyone that lives in my neighborhood. You live here? We do live yes. here, Yes. That's great if you live here. Do you live here? Yes, bitch. Okay, so who where? Cares? I'm not giving you my address. So, Eugene, she got a spreadsheet on every person living in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, no, no, no. I don't know nobody in my neighborhood. Let, let me tell you something. There are harassment laws on the books in almost every single state. They need to start being enforced. Yeah. They need to start being enforced until 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 crazy white people are arrested for, you know, this kind of BS. You know, it's gonna keep happening. Um, you know, it's gonna count. I wish somebody I wish one of my neighbors would try something like that. I wish, I wish, I really do. I wish, I wish it would. <laughs> Eugene, um, uh, Jim, uh, go ahead, Julian. This is just a, white women, because men don't do this. They do other stuff. White women have lost their collective minds when they think they can run up on people and challenge them for their very existence. I know everybody who lives here. Yeah, but brother, this is not unusual we have to, you know, I'm doing all this history stuff, so we have to go back in history and see when a black man was walking down the street in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, because nobody knew him, he was lynched. When a black woman who was doing laundry for a doctor in a neighborhood, but the white women didn't know her, she was lynched. So this is just a throwback to 19th century behavior that we continue to condone. Yep. How dare these itches itches. I ain't gonna cuss out of the air. You can do that. Um, but these itches, how dare they confront people I don't know you. You don't have to know everybody. That's not your business. But this is... So the law that has been passed in San Francisco about... And, and laws that should be passed all over the place about harassment, they're so important. Think twice before you call the police on a black person. Because you may be the one who gets arrested. Alright, y'all. Roll next video, please. Please watch the show. All right, I discussed that fool yesterday. All right, folks, let's go to this next one. Remember this here? The white woman who coughed on a baby in a stroller after she had a verbal altercation with the mother? Well, guess what? She been fired from her job with the California School District. Yep, she gone. I, I, I hey, Eugene, I, I keep. Do we have a video of that? So here's his video right here. So you watching the video? She coughs on a baby. She gone. Lost her job, Eugene. She should have lost her job. Should have lost more than that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, look, I'm glad she lost her job. Um, you know, I hope there's some, uh, you know, assault charge that's pressed against her, which also lead to uh, you know, another civil uh, judgment against her. 
um, you know, these people are out of control. Um, and you can, you know, uh, Eugene Froze, go, go ahead, uh, Julian. And these people are crazy. We know they're crazy. And they're ramping up because they have a leader in chief, a, a chucklehead in chief, who's encouraging them. Coughing on a baby when you know there is a pandemic is endangering the baby's life. It's sick. But every single day, you see yeah. these people. They won't wear masks. They move it up on people. They're basically endangering people's lives, and they're being encouraged by the chucklehead in chief who does not want to put a mask on, who thinks this is all under control. What we know for real is that black and brown people are disproportionately uh, visited by the coronavirus. We know that for sure. The data show that now. We know that we're, what, 4% of the world's population, 25% of the cases. We know all this. So anyone who is that careless incarceration is the best thing that can happen to them. Well, we also have, of course, uh, we showed y'all yesterday uh, the video of the white guy at Costco who lost his mind. Well, he happened to be an insurance agent. Bye-bye. He no longer has his job. I keep, hey, I, I keep telling y'all, these, these people who keep acting a fool, uh, I am more than perfectly fine with them losing their jobs. I, I do have to, uh, I'm trying to find this video. Uh, ben Crump posted this particular video here. Uh, of these folks. Did y'all hear the, the, the uh, it was, I um, can't remember what, what city it was in, but when this, this white couple just straight up went off uh, on this black woman working at a hotel uh, and just viciously started beating her. I mean, you t yeah. I mean, because the hot water wasn't working. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm on Ben Crump. They didn't go beat the hotel management? They, this sister was working. This sister was working at the, uh, the counter, and I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to find Ben Crump had tweeted it out, and they just start just beating the hell out of this sister. Oh. <sighs> I'm telling you, no, this, this, this constant attack. I mean, this is. Eugene, all these people who now we can say, hey, now because we now have more video, whatever. No. Yeah. There are some other things that are happening that are causing these white people to absolutely lose their mind. Well, no, there's definitely an uptick. This isn't just, you know, now there's video evidence. There's a 100% uptick in, this, in, in, in the actual activity. Um, and part of it is Trump-induced. Part of it is, is, you know, these people are now triggered by almost anything black or Hispanic. There, the, the, the fear is, re it, it resembles the fear that occurred after Reconstruction, when the social order was upended and suddenly black people did not have to be um, subservient to white people. And so then they passed a bunch of laws and did a bunch of stuff to say, oh, yes, you do. Now we have, you can't pass laws like that because they're good white judges. But what you can do is essentially attempt to terrorize. This is a modern day mm -hmm. Ku Klux Klan where you just decide that you can burn that you can holler, you can call the police, which are likely to be your allies, because you want to maintain the hierarchy that says that you're first and black people are second. 
Well, and, and again, I, I need, in fact, uh, here's the video right here, folks. So this is the video. So apparently this couple, so watch this here, this couple, there was some issues with the hot water. And so he had a sister right here who's trying to help this woman with ice. All of a sudden, this white couple comes on and this guy, he just punches the, and then they punch and kick. They viciously beat this sister angry with her and first of all the, the, the wife sits here and pushes the man off and then and then you have this these uh these other two workers who step in and uh a woman who's working there and and now you see uh this other person uh running in uh at the end there but again i mean this is this is capture right here this took place uh june 26 watch so they walk and so she punches her and then the wife begins to hit her, and then the husband, he just slams her down, kicking her in the head, punching her as well. Are they going to jail, Roland? Uh, that's what uh, I'm going to put. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm looking at the story here. This Actually, this took place in Nassau County, New York. Uh, Philip Sauner and mm -hmm. Emily Orbe, uh, the sister who worked there, 59-year-old uh, Crystal Caldwell at Mystic Inn, they hurled racial slurs, hit her in the head, and kicked her in the ribs. And arrest warrants were filed uh, against both of them. Uh, yeah, arrest warrants were absolutely filed uh, against them. But have they been arrested? Yeah, yeah, they've been, I mean, that's been, yeah, that took place, that took place on June 26th. So this story here is from July 2nd. Yeah, but arrest, arrest warrant applications are filed on July 2nd. I don't want to be ghetto, but are their asses in jail? Well, we, we don't know. So, um, again, arrest warrants have been filed. So, again, uh, they were now, now, now the police were, the police, the police were, one second, the police were criticized uh, with the delay in charges. Uh, this story here says questioning by the couple was not arrested the day of the incident, uh, but Stonington police defended their investigation and have said they wanted an ironclad case. That's according to the story in current.com. And you need some ironclad case. I got your iron and I got your clad. This is absurd. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here saying a 59 year old black woman who's working in a hotel, uh, probably as a caretaker, as a, a maid or something, making very little money. She ain't in charge of the heat. I mean, she's not in charge of the heat. This is absurd, and this is the way that black women on the hierarchy are sitting there, there and wh whoever, whoever owns that hotel needs to sue those people, the sister needs to sue those people, and those people need to be up under somebody's gym. Well, bottom line, again, I'm telling you, this is why video matters and why all that's important. All right, folks, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Eugene. Folks, we're going to a break. When we come back. We'll chat with Dr. Ho with Dr. Howard Fuller, retiring after more than 30 years with Marquette University. He's been an ardent supporter of school choice, parental choice, and we'll talk with him about Joe Biden, education, also, of course, Trump administration, and their whole attitude when it comes to reopening schools due to coronavirus. All that's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com.
All right, folks, folks at Seek.com, they have, of course, uh, their virtual reality headset, which you can see right here, which allows for you to actually place your phone inside of this particular headset, look at 360-degree video, look at virtual reality video right there on your phone uh, as well. And so you can go to Seek.com and watch their content, subscribe to their content. You can also, of course, uh, check out other videos. So there's a YouTube channel that has 360-degree video. Then, of course, they have their 360-degree 4D headphone. You see them right here. Uh, you, uh, gamers uh, also use these. This also, of course, has this uh, microphone that, right here that attaches to uh, the headset, which allows for you to talk. Uh, while you are playing video games, you'll see right here, the microphone right here. Uh, then, of course, you can also, it's Bluetooth, and you can also plug in, listen to music. If you uh, want a discount code to get these headsets, uh, this VR headset or the headphones, go to seek.com, C-E-E-K.com, seek.com, C-E-E-K.com, and use the promo code RMVIP2020, RMVIP2020. Uh, a black woman, Mary Spio, is actually the inventor uh, of these uh, headphones. She owns the company as well, and so, uh, not only are you supporting, uh, um, of course, a great product, but also supporting a black-owned business. And so we certainly appreciate that. So don't forget, uh, the promo code is RMVIP2020. All right, folks. Uh, Howard Fuller, Pan-Africanist, also big-time educator, former superintendent of the Milwaukee Public Schools, nationally known advocate for school choice, is retiring after three decades at Marquette University, where he has served as a distinguished professor of education and founder and director of its Institute for the Transformation of Learning. He has always been about education. He joins us right now. Doc, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Roland? So you decided to retire? First of all, you ain't retiring. <laughs> so let's just be yeah, clear. Hey, man, I'm eight days in, man. You're eight days in? Yeah. Okay, so what does that feel like? It don't feel no different. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm sure it'll feel different, you know, a few months from now when things slow down. First of all, got to get your thoughts on this idiotic administration of forcing schools to have in-person classes um, and thre thre threatening to pull federal funds if they don't uh, have kids back in school. You hear Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, all this craziness. They act like 134,000 people have not died from coronavirus. Well, first of all, Roland, you know that uh, Trump is a fascist. Uh, he's insane. He's a racist. And they don't give a damn about people's lives, man. The only thing is about is Donald Trump. And so it means that those of us who care about our lives, who care about our community, who care about our kids, we're going to have to pursue our own strategy, even if it means confronting the federal government, because he don't, they don't care about us, man. <laughs> that's, that's clear. Anybody who don't understand that, I, I, I mean, you've been living under a rock. Absolutely. I mean, that is the case. All he cares about is re-election. And, and the reality is, I mean, this is a disease impacting us. So I keep saying, hey, if they want to send their kids, go right ahead. But I'm telling you, what's going to happen is you're going to have some kids, 20, 30, 40, going to get, get coronavirus. You're going to have some teachers, some staffers. Uh, and that's the other thing. This ain't just about children. It's everything else that goes into schools, bus drivers, uh, again, janitors, uh, support personnel, all of that. No, you're right, Roland. And so it's clear, man, that they have sat down wherever the day is. I mean, I remember when Chris Christie was on uh, TV talking about, yeah, I, I know if we open up the uh, economy, we're going to have to 
uh, have a certain number of deaths. Well, he wasn't thinking it was going to be him and his family right. that was going to be dying. Right. <laughs> so, so we need to be clear as to whose deaths they're willing to tolerate. And we just got to be focused, man, on what is best for our community, for our children. And that's what we're going to have to do, even if we have to rebel against these orders that are coming out that make no sense. You talk about uh, being about our kids and our children. You have been, uh, that's been your uh, focus uh, ever since you have been working in education. You've taken uh, lots of bullets from folks uh, because of your belief in parental choice uh, when it comes to vouchers and school choice and charters, things along those lines. Uh, same thing has happened uh, to me. I, I, get a, I get a kick out of the people uh, who say we're trying to destroy public education when I'm going, no, I think what we're trying to do is make sure black kids are getting educated. Well, you know what's really interesting, Roland, I've said this and people got mad, but you know, I don't really care. Um, the argument of the teachers union and the police union are remarkably similar. So that if you look at the public education system, which is a delivery system, it isn't public education, it's a delivery system for public education. And you say you have issues with the delivery system, they're gonna to try to say, oh, you're against public education. No, I support public education, but the delivery system does not work for large numbers of our kids. If you say you want the police, you want something to happen with the police so that they quit killing us, so that you get their knee off our neck, they say, oh, you're against public safety. No, I support public safety. What I don't support is the organization that is supposed to make us safe that is actually killing us. And so, Roland, we can't buy into the okey-doke, man. We can't be bamboozled by these people and intimidated by these people, including their Negro spokespersons, uh, into saying, no, no, okay, well, we don't want our parents to have choice. We want our parents to have as many options as possible. Because anybody who understands American history understands that anytime black people only have one option for anything in America, we're in deep trouble. And, uh, and but on that point, and this is what I have made clear, very clearly, is that I am for black people running charter schools that educate black kids we're in control of the contracts, which means that we get to use black vendors. We get to hire black teachers. I'm trying to understand how is that anti-black? Well, obviously, Roland is not, man. But, but you know enough, and you've been out here long enough to know that none of this is based on logic. It's based on people's interests. And the reality of it is that when you talk about the conditions of black people in America, it's not just a racial issue, it's also a class issue. And for a lot of black people, school districts have been the entree to the middle class. And so when you begin to talk about radically changing those districts, you begin to impact people's economic reality. But what they're not hearing though, Roland, is we're not asking people to take a vow of poverty or to be without employment or to be without income. We're saying we can begin to do it on our own. We can use these mechanisms to create jobs, to create income for our communities in ways that even the traditional system can't do. And, and, that, and, and that's the piece there. And when we talk about failure, we talk about failure. This is what I also say. 
if there is a traditional school that's working, keep it. Right. Keep doing what you're doing. Right. Replicate it. But if there's a traditional school that is failing and is failing our children, I can't you I can't look a black parent in the eye and say, hey, wait for my five or ten year plan to kick in if your child is in the seventh grade, because by the time my five year plan kicks in, they will be walking across the stage with a subpar education. Yeah, but I've also heard you say, Roland, that if there's a charter school or a private school that is being run by black people, but it ain't educating black kids. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and that's the deal. I mean, look, look, my, my, my nieces were enrolled in a black charter school in Houston that was a piece of crap. And me and my wife told them and said, no, they coming out because y'all don't know what the hell y'all doing. I am. I'm absolutely about shutting down anything that don't work. But Roland, I've heard you say it over and over again. And the fact that you keep getting criticism obviously means that people are not trying to hear it. They're listening to Diane Ravitch or Randy Weingarten or whoever the hell they're listening to. And they're not trying to listen to reason. They're not trying to listen to the logic of your argument because it ain't about that, man. It, it's, it's about people protecting their own interests, but it's also people not understanding how to change their interests. And one of the things that's been clear, as long as we've been in this country, man, we've had people who will function against our interests and in essence against their own interests because they really fundamentally don't understand how this stuff works in this country. One thing you talked about that as well, and you uh, had lots of criticism for Democratic candidates during the various debates, uh, leading rallies and protests there. And when you look at right now, and I've heard from uh, school choice supporters that they do not like uh, Joe Biden's education committee because it's devoid of folks like you. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing, man. The only reason I'm voting for Joe Biden is because he's running against Donald Trump. I'm clear, man, that Joe Biden is not for the self-determination of black people. I don't care who he appoints as his vice presidential candidate. My view is that this is one of those situations <laughs> where you're looking at a dude who's clearly a fascist, a dude who is clearly racist, and is doing everything that he can to destroy us and had the nerve to get up somewhere talking about parent choice is a civil rights issue. This man should never put civil rights in his mouth. And we have to be clear about that. But we know that Joe Biden is gonna turn his education uh, platform and his whole education process over to Randy Weingarten of the world. So we're gonna have to fight Joe Biden on the other side of this election if he gets elected. But I can't, in good conscience, say I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because I don't like his education platform. There's some larger issues here, Roland, that we got to deal with. But we then have to organize ourselves to fight him and his forces on the other side. And I want to stay right there. I want to stay at that particular point there because, see, this that's the thing that I wish people understand. That point you just said. They're Republicans. They're Republicans who ain't like Trump. 
But their whole deal was, I hate Hillary more. And their point was, we're going to vote for him, and then we're going to fight him to get what we want. I and, and so when I listen to all these folks who holler, uh, uh, I'm making demands now, I, and this is what I keep saying, you can make all of the demands you want of Joe Biden now, but if you if you are not organized and mobilized with infrastructure to fight him after the inauguration, all you're doing is running your mouth right now. Exactly. No, and, and I've heard you say it, man. And, and, and I don't know why, I don't understand why that's not clear to people. But, but, but the other thing that they try to do, Roland, is they try to tie you and me to Trump, no matter how much we've been clear about our opposition to him. And, and in power politics, man, at a certain point in time, you make your demands on Biden. But there comes a moment when you have to say, okay, I done made these demands. <laughs> he didn't listen, but I'm still going for him. But while I'm going for him, I'm organizing myself to fight him the night after the inauguration. Right. Or the night of the inauguration. Right. And, th- and that's the point right there. That look, hey, man, right. Do understand. And in fact, I- I'm going to try to find it when I interviewed, when, when it, was the, it was the night before the inauguration of Obama. I moderated a panel, Spike Lee's ad agency, sponsored it, Howard University, Cranston Auditorium. On that panel was Reverend Jackson, Reverend Sharpton, Cornell West, uh, Donald Brazil, I think Amy Holmes or Tara Wall, one of them. I, I can't quite remember. And we sat there, and Cornell West said, we're going to put pressure on that brother. He said, we support him, we love him. Talk about Obama. Right. So black folks got mad, and I was like, y'all, play the tape. He said right. it. And I, I think that's the piece. I, I think the problem is that we got a lot of people. I ain't going to name names. I've done it before. But I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt right now. We got a lot of people who talk a good game. But are you willing to put pressure on that person once they are in office? And that's the difference. And I'm just like you. I'm going to give Joe Biden hell. When Joe Biden said, we getting rid of charter schools, I'm like, Joe, do understand, you're going to hear from me and a whole bunch of other black people, especially black parents, if you think this is going to be the only option we're going to have for our kids on the education side. Right, but, but, but none of us can be lulled into saying, because Donald Trump said something about parent choice and the civil rights, that we ought to be looking over there to support this man. That's, that's, that's idiotic, bro. It, it, Donald Trump is the most clearly racist president that I've seen in my lifetime. I'm not saying he's the only one. He's the one who's been most clear. There's no subtlety to his current agenda. And we have to see that and we have to understand it. But Joe Biden needs to know that because we're over there with him, because we're against Trump, it does not mean that we're not going to be prepared to fight him to make sure that we represent the interests of our families and children who need options in this country. And, you know, Howard, I, I had to sit here and I had to check a dumbass earlier, Ja Ellie, Ja Eli. 
And and I, I gotta check this dumbass Cheryl R. Lee on YouTube as well. Uh, how you gonna put pressure uh, 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 on, on use choice language on Biden once he's in office? That really is just the stupidest question I've ever heard. <laughs> it's stupid. I mean, to act like it hasn't happened before. So let me, for stupid people like Cheryl Lee, let me explain to dumbasses like that what happened. I witnessed it myself. Gay folk said, get rid of don't ask, don't tell. That's what they said. Right. They put forth a 54-page agenda what they wanted from Obama when it came to gay rights. I watched, I had a meeting at the White House. I watched as one of those soldiers who had gotten kicked out of the military because he was gay, chained himself, handcuffed himself to the White House fence that's three blocks away from where I'm sitting right now, and they arrested him. And guess what? You had gay folks on the inside who were sitting here uh, protesting, who were pushing Obama, but you had that outside pressure as well. And guess what? 2010, they said Obama had moved. Gay folks closed their checkbook. They didn't give to Obama and the Democrats when it came to the midterm elections. What happened? Democrats got skunked in the midterms. Obama said, we got to sit here and pass, don't ask, we got to uh, end, don't ask, don't tell. That happened December 2010. It's called pressure. Joe Biden, so when somebody says, what does pressure look like? Easy. Joe Biden wins, and if Joe Biden begins to move against charter schools, that means that when Joe Biden's given a speech somewhere, he's met with 2,000 protesters. It means the gates. Howard, one of the fundamental problems, and can't nobody say, I wasn't saying it because you're a damn lie. Black people stayed at the inauguration parade for eight years. Everybody else left. And we were like, oh, we got a black president. We got so fixated on the black first family, we ignored that he was the 44th. We didn't sit here and put that level of pressure. No, don't, don't do that. Don't protest. Don't chain yourself to the gate. Everybody else had an agenda and activated their agenda, mobilized and organized. But black folks sat down and were like, wow, that's what pressure looks like, Howard. Hey, man, I don't have nothing to add to that, man. I just hope that there are people out there who are listening, because I hear all this stuff about being woke, you know, and I understand being woke. But if you woke and you still just standing there woke and you ain't doing nothing, you might as well go back to sleep, huh? So in my opinion, man, what you're talking about is a necessity. And all of us who support parent options, all of us who believe that we have to have these options, we got to be mobilizing ourselves right now to fight. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we do everything that we can to get Donald Trump out of office. That's it. That's it. Get him out of office. And also, I hear the people how we're like, oh, but, but what about them never Trumpers? Hey, the person who's your, who's your enemy last week who your ally today might be your enemy next month. You don't worry about next month. You let next month get to next month. You worry about today. Well, yeah, I mean, remember, Roland, I mean, you remember this, obviously. Back in the 60s, one of the things that we used to say over and over again in the political sense is that you have no permanent friends and no permanent enemies. What you have 
are permanent interests. And a lot of people say that, and they used to, they don't know where it came from, but Lenin actually said that. So, so when people start talking about things, they ought to know where it came from, but the concept is what we were talking about. And I think that concept applies now. When you, um, when you look back on all the work that you've done in this area, founding Bayo and all of this work, um, I also, and I got no, no problem saying, I think in this moment that we're dealing with this reckoning, the third reconstruction, um, I've heard you say it publicly, you know I've said it publicly as well. This is also a moment where white people who are in ed reform, and look, I'm doing my show from the offices of 50 Can, I'm on their board of directors, I've said this on our board of directors, this movement, this movement that we're in, also must deal with their issues of frankly ignoring black vo voices, um, um, not properly funding institutions, Majority of people in public schools today are black and brown, and you cannot have a movement. I don't care what the movement is. You cannot have a movement that's impacting people of color, but then you don't have people of color who are also leading that movement. Yeah, I mean, you said it, I've said it, Steve. I mean, a lot of people have said it, but I think the moment rolling that's here is in the same way that industry and corporations and all of these people are beginning to at least act like they are hearing that something has to be different. And they're putting resources on the table. We need to see how much resources, what those resources are gonna be used for, but it's the same thing in this uh, uh, so-called education reform movement. This is the moment in time where the foundations and the corporate people and all of these people that, that uh, our critics say we done sold out to, they got to put some real money behind black people now. Because if we're going to continue to get beaten up out here for being tools of billionaires, we need to have a level of resources that's commensurate with the criticism that we're getting. And so this is the moment in time, man, for people to step up to the plate and put real money behind black governed, black led organizations in this education reform movement. Uh, I got I to gotta ask you about this here. We were on a panel at the National Association of Black Journalists several years ago, and all these people, they were criticizing you. And you said this statement, which I, I still find hilarious today. And you were like, I'm sorry, you said, which white folk money is good? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting, Roland. It's like, you, you get these black people in the room criticizing you or me for taking money from Walden. And my question is, where y'all getting the money from? So it's, it's comical, man, to see black people in a room arguing over which white people's money is okay and which white people's money is not. I mean, I, I talked to Chris Stewart today because evidently Andre wrote some kind of paper, but I don't ever read nothing Andre says. Uh, and uh, it, it's just interesting uh, to me. Uh, uh, Andre who? Who's Andre? For the Brookings Institute. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, go <laughs> You know, would be criticizing some black person for taking money from some white person. But, I, I mean, it's it's ludicrous, wrote. But it, but it's 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 a part of the game, man. And and so what I think we have to do is that those of us who believe in what we believe, we got to pursue it relentlessly. We got to argue for even more resources so that we could do more work for our community and let the criticism come. The criticism is going to come whether you take a dollar or a million. I would rather have the criticism come when I got a million as opposed to a dollar.
Absolutely. Well, Dr. Howard Fuller, man, we appreciate all the work that you have done, all the work you are going to continue to do. Uh, you, you have never stopped giving folks hell. Uh, I appreciate uh, your friendship, your knowledge, all the work that you've done. And y'all, it's a true story. I was, I was reading some book. Y'all, it's a true story. I'm reading this book. And I don't know what book I was reading. I can't remember. And they started describing, and they had this African name. And, and, <laughs> and then they said, they said uh, he, now, he now goes by Howard Fuller. And I was like, and you're talking about education. So y'all, I sent Howard a text and I said, Howard, this you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, that was me. Uh, I, I absolutely hollered. And so, so, I, so I, I also get a kick out of the people who go, man, uh, Howard sold out. I'm like, do y'all know Howard was a Pan-Africanist and was fighting this thing when your ass was a thought in your daddy's brain about trying to hook up with your mama? Yeah, well, you know, Roland, I, I really, you know I appreciate you. You know I love you, man, as a brother, and I appreciate your friendship. And I just want to thank you, man, for being resolute uh, in the struggle. And even though I'm retired, you know, if there's anything I can do, man, you know, you, you got all the ways to get in touch with me, so just holler, man. Absolutely. Well, Doc, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy retirement. Uh, but I'm quite sure uh, it, Joe Biden beats uh, Trump in November and he start acting funny on this whole issue. I'm going to see you down the street three blocks away standing in front of the White House with a megaphone. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, folks. That's All Dr. Right, Howard man. Fuller. Uh, y'all, uh, please. Uh, I should have pulled it up, so just give me a second. I want y'all to get uh, Howard's book, uh, a phenomenal book, uh, where he talks about of course, his history in education, being the superintendent uh, of the uh, Minneapolis, uh, excuse me, um, being the Milwaukee uh, School District. Uh, and so uh, his book, just give me a second. I'm pulling it up. My, my apologies. I should have had it up. My bad. Uh, and so this is the cover of Howard Fuller's book. It's No Struggle, No Progress, A Warrior's Life from Black Power to Education Reform. Uh, no struggle, no progress, a warrior's life from black power to education reform. Howard Fuller with Lisa Frazier Page. It is a uh, incident. Amazing book. And trust me, folks, you definitely want to get that. All right, folks, let's uh, uh, end the show this way. Uh, first of all, uh, we were supposed to have Dr. Patrice, Patrice Colors on the show, but what happened was our Skype machine, we had all these technical issues. Y'all saw it there on YouTube as well. Our Skype machine crashed. We missed our slot, and so we're going to try to rebook her. So that's what happened there. And so, again, my apologies there. Technical stuff happens. Also, let me explain this here. We are, we've been having some issues also trying with our signal on YouTube the last couple of days. Uh, we have been meeting with our building uh, trying to get them uh, to come in, check it. We've been meeting with, uh, we've been calling um, the folks at Xfinity, uh, trying to get them to come in as well. Uh, and so, again, we're trying to figure out exactly what the problem is. Uh, our signal has been going to Facebook and, and Periscope. There are issues with YouTube, so we're working on that. So I just wanted y'all to understand that we're trying to make this thing happen. That's also the reason why we stream it on multiple platforms. So if one fails, we have a backup as well. All right, uh, do me a favor, folks. Uh, we need your support, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Henry, give me a wide shot. I just want to show y'all uh, what, what your money is also 
uh, going to. So just give me a wide shot. I told y'all, uh, so I did this, we did the show for, I had to do the show from home for Friday and Monday. Uh, they put in a new system here uh, in terms of our new lighting grid. Uh, and so if y'all see, uh, I look a little different. Yeah, point it up. So we got these new lights. Uh, your y'all paid for this. Y'all paid for this. And so you see the lights on this side, the lights on this side, but there are six lights uh, that here uh, that give it, it gives us a whole different look on the show. And so we appreciate your support in making this possible. Your dollars make this possible. And I told y'all, I want y'all to understand black owned lighting company that installed this here, this desk, black owned uh, company that actually uh, built this desk. Give me a wide shot of the desk here. And of course you got the art down here, the art pieces, uh, different generations of black folks voting. Artist Leroy Campbell did that as well. You can go online and get his art as well. Uh, and that's what you see. And so we, we, we know we practice uh, utilizing black vendors right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, give a shout out to the people who join our Bring the Funk fan club. Alexander Charles, Ari Ella Brimley, Black Mama Brands, Shakira, Chris Oliver, Darla Broton, Derek Reinhardt, Helen Harris, Our TYME Inter Entertainment LLC, Imani Enterprises, Jewel, Kareem Coleman, Karen, uh, Kessa Hammock, Kevin Thorne, Leela Mason, Leonard Vaughn, Lisa Young, Mercedes Fialo, Michael Norris, Pat Bill, uh, Kadar Wicks, Raina Oakry, Robert Thomas, Rodney Page, Rose Moore, Ruby McGowan, Siobhan Sherry, Stephanie Cooper, Stephen Coleman, Thea Wilson, Valerie Williams, Wanda Worthy, uh, Wendy Butler, Yvonne As Acevedo. Folks, you can join by cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. You can also send a cashier's or money order to New Vision Media Inc., 1625 K Street, uh, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Uh, you can send it there. Uh, these are a lot of the people. I, matter of fact, uh, I got, uh, we got cards in today uh, from, uh, this was from uh, Eric, where's the uh, envelope go? Uh, so I can read the last name. Uh, but we got some other, uh, like all these folks have sent stuff in. Uh, we got some great stuff. Uh, this is from Elisa Starr. I watch your show every day and I love your bright colors, your fighting spirit, and your jokes. I really appreciate you keeping your panel all black. You've introduced me to some of the smartest, most insightful minds of our time. But by far away, my most treasured memory of you is your interview with Nikki Giovanni. Your brain is a treasure. We're all lucky you like to broadcast its contents all over the world. So, Elisa, uh, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, John uh, uh, Little, uh, I'm so excited about this opportunity to support the family by becoming a member of the Bring the Funk fan club. Also, thank you for all that you do and say hi to Dr. Carter, Rob, Reese, and Erica. Uh, and then, and a shout out to Seek.com, Black Vodka, Black Voters Matter, Texas A&M, Dr. Avis, Ms. Terry Ellis, and A5A. So, John Little, we certainly appreciate that, folks. We've got other notes uh, that folks have sent in. Uh, please uh, invite Adam Abbott to your show. They are on YouTube to wake the people up. Uh, and so uh, that is from, um, who is this from? Michelle Stallings. And so we appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. This is from, uh, who is this from? This is from... Natalie Jackson, the greatness of a man is not in how much 
wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect, infect those around him positively. Brother Roland, keep talking that talk and walking that walk. Stay true to thyself. Uh, sincerely, Miss Jackson, my favorite panel is Dr. Carl Reese and Erica LOL. Uh, Deborah Crawford uh, sent us uh, a check, and then Deborah Crawford, let's see here. Uh, nope, that was just it. I thought that was a note. Uh, let's see here. Carol, was it Carol right? I'm enclosing a personal check for $100 to support Roland Martin Unfiltered. I enjoyed listening to Roland and his panelists, except Malik Abdul, smiley face, on Facebook Daily. I find the political topics very informative and educational. I continue to pray for the show longevity. Uh, Carol, uh, David, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, thank you so very much. I'm going to read just a few couple of more. Uh, thank you for all you do. I appreciate it. We would like to please speak. Uh, I love this one here. Look, uh, uh, Henry, you're going to like this one. Would you please speak to Henry a little nicer when you are addressing him? Ruby McGowan. Henry, Ruby, uh, uh, is she uh, 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 a kin to you? Yeah, Henry got his aunts and his cousins right in here. And so she want me to speak to Henry uh, a little nicer. Hell no! I'm just messing with her. All right, Ruby, I'll try. But, you know, if Henry do something stupid, I got to go ahead and shout at him. All right, so Henry, you, you want to frame? Can, Henry, you want me to take this out so you can frame it? Yeah, Henry want me to frame this one, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I, do, I had to save that one. Uh, I see. I'm going to have to read that one. Let's see here. Uh, please... Dolores Benton, I don't know what they're saying. Uh, please include me in your... Okay, I don't know. Something. Include me in something. But I gave you a shout-out, Dolores. And so I certainly appreciate it. Uh, and let's see. I'm going to read one more letter uh, from our fans, and we got to go. Uh, this one here is... Nothing on this one. Okay, cool. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Oh, we got a card. Let's see here from, um, who is this here? Rebecca Walker. I enjoy your program. You are a stand-up brother who isn't afraid to speak truth to power. Please continue to present the issues of the day in a bold and enlightening manner and closes a small amount to further the cause. Sincerely, uh, Rebecca Walker. Folks, I'm telling you, we got people all around the country uh, who support our Bring the Funk fan club. We want you to join. If you watch it on YouTube right now, y'all can give right here on YouTube. And I'm telling you, right, we've got uh, Keenan, let me know. We've got more than 9,000. I'll have the actual number tomorrow. So we're getting closer to our, uh, to our goal. We want to have 20,000 people. By December 31st, we want 20,000 of our followers supporting the show. Y'all on Periscope, Facebook, y'all can give. Our goal is to get $50 each for each of our fan club members. And again, show budget is met. We got no issues. And so we want y'all to do that. So please help us get to our goal. Again, pull up again, cash app, PayPal, Venmo. You can also send the cashier's check. Uh, all those up. You can also, if you want to use a credit card, just simply go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com and you can use the, uh, you can use the, uh, use Square as well. And so, and remember, if you join the fan club, you get a discount code uh, for products, the pocket squares and the books that are on the website. You got that as well. Don't forget, Seek.com. Go to Seek.com. Use the promo code RMVIP2020. Uh, we get a cut of those proceeds, which also goes to fund this show. That's why we do what we do. Folks, I will see you guys tomorrow. It's Thursday. Who do I got tomorrow? I got someone on the show tomorrow. I can't remember right now. It's been so busy. All right. Y'all have a good one. Holla!
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.